This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. All right. Welcome back to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. I'm Dr. Kara. And I'm Dr. Dave. And, and we're in different places. We are today. Yes. Yeah. We're well, very distanced. Yeah. Real sad. Yeah. <laughs> Much more than six feet. Uh, who are we talking to today? Someone you've been wanting to talk to for a long time. I'm so excited to talk to Dr. Sam Madeira today. Uh, hi, Dr. Sam. Hey, how's it going there? Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, so I, I, I learned about Dr. Sam um, in my quest to understand all things hormones, um, although he's a bit on the other side of the coin, uh, specialing, specializing in male health, uh, testosterone optimization, regenerative medicine, and uh, really has been instrumental in my learning about testosterone. So I'm really excited to chat to you today. And uh, we're shifting gears a little bit. We are in the midst of COVID and have had uh, the opportunity to speak with a few great experts on the topic. Uh, but this is a bit of a fresh air for my hormone geeky soul <laughs> and we've been estrogen heavy for a long time it's about time to uh, balance this out yes sam you got it you're balancing out our profession for sure in many ways <laughs> thanks yeah i do what i can you know <laughs> um and actually uh, when you mentioned estrogen dave but there there's actually a lot of parallels i was thinking about this because you know, I speak to women about, you know, they're afraid of estrogen. They, they think it's a, not a good thing and it makes them hormonal. And, but I say, no, estrogen's like, you're like goddess hormone. It's like the thing that gives you like vitality and energy and sex drive and prevents all these diseases. And there's a lot of kind of similarities for what testosterone does for men. So true. Yeah. There, I, I would say it's like the yin and the yang, you know, that whole yin and yang symbol is the testosterone for men and the estrogen for men and then the estrogen for women and testosterone for women. So, right. It, yeah. Well, little like brief, brief intro to like testosterone, maybe to start there and like sort of basics of what it's good for and what it sort of does and what happens if you don't have it or enough. Absolutely. Yeah. So testosterone is what arguably makes men men and uh, from a biological point of view anyway. And it's released highest first in the womb in utero and then again around age one and then during puberty for uh, growing men. And then after age 30, it basically starts decreasing on average 1% per year for total testosterone output. Testosterone helps with focus, motivation, drive, not just sex drive, but that's huge, is libido, sexual health, um, erections, and basically mood. So when you think about dopamine, think about testosterone, do you have the motivation to get those tasks done that maybe you don't really feel like doing? Do you have the brain energy and the brain power as well as lean muscle mass? Most people think of testosterone as a muscular man like a superhero or something superman and yes it does do that it also helps with bone health so osteoporosis is um, basically linked to hormone deficiencies in women very strongly and definitely as well with men 
So that's kind of the, in a nutshell, what we see is that most of the time, I mean, you can go online and you can Google the Adam questionnaire, adult aging male questionnaire. And there's some research showing that there is some connection between those symptoms. Mostly it's going to be uh, weaker erections and low libido are the strongest signs we've seen and depression. So I think a lot of men are diagnosed with depression, low testosterone and other issues going on. Mm-hmm. You kind of, yeah, the, the boners and biceps, right? <laughs> yes. You, boners, biceps. And those two, I think are probably, if, if you'd ask someone on the street, what does testosterone do that those probably would be the themes of the answers. I definitely see the mood as a significant, uh, really significant part of it that I think people haven't possibly connected. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I call it grumpy old man. Can be men of any age. I mean, you could be a twenty-five-year-old <laughs> male and just be hating life, and everyone's kind of like, "What happened to you?" And that testosterone. And usually, those young men or those men are getting prescribed antidepressant medications like SSRIs. And the risk with SSRIs is that, in some cases, in this case, that arguably aren't treating the cause because it's not a serotonin issue and it's actually more of a dopamine testosterone issue. So for that's something to consider. The other thing is that is the, the patient uh, is actually having a hormone deficiency and their ratio of free testosterone to estradiol their estrogen level is through the roof, which can become inflammatory estrogens, and that's problematic for a lot of reasons. But the thing that's going on there is that the SSRIs, once they're prescribed, they can be very hard to come off of, and they can create lasting changes in the brain, as well as, first of all, if that's not what's really going on, then that's a, a misdiagnosis and a mistreatment. But second of all, is they can cause lasting problems with erection health. RI syndrome that we have, and I mean, you can look this up. It's well known that they cause uh, issues with libido in sexual performance in, in men. So also men tend to gain weight on some specific SSRIs. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not, I don't specialize in mood disorders or anything, but this is what I've seen. And I have had men reach out to me and say, yeah, I have been on this SSRI and I got off it and it's been, you know, over six months or over a year and I'm still having problems. You know, what do we do? And that's not a place that people want to be in. And unfortunately, a lot of men are in that place and men are less likely to ask for help when they're in that place. So that's, it could be a scary spot, I think, for a lot of guys because, what I think a lot of people don't know is that in the United States and most likely other developed countries too, I haven't looked at the stats, is that one of the leading causes of death under age 40 is suicide. So depression is huge. And then it's even worse in the United Kingdom where it's even higher for male suicide going up to age 50, I believe. So that's serious. And if, you know, optimizing your lifestyle and your male hormones can decrease that depression. And yeah, maybe you need a low dose SSRI or like uh, Wellbutrin uh, is one of the names of one of those dopamine agonist medications for six, 12 months while you work on the real underlying causes. Uh, There's no shame in that. However, looking at, you know, mitigating risk is huge. And I think a lot of practitioners don't look at depression as, oh, this could be a hormone problem for men. So I think most, most of the time, yeah, or women. And, and most of the time, I think what, what men think, okay, PMS, uh, is she pregnant? Not pregnant. Sex, you know, and, and I think for how we view male hormones is biceps, boners, and you know, with boners, it's like, is it up or down? Okay, that's it. There's a lot more to it. So that's why I'm excited to talk to you all today. 
Sam, I know, I know it's like a male sort of focused in a way, because we're talking about testosterone at this point, but like, what about, um, what would women who have low, the, the symptoms I'd assume would, some would be different. What would, what would women notice? For women having low testosterone? Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest things are lean muscle mass uh, and having more and that fat tissue could be around the waist, but it could be in the, the hips uh, as well. It just depends on their constitution. Um, also, what we find is low libido as well is strongly uh, correlated there. Out questionnaires. And usually in the blood, we look for female uh, total testosterone to be around 70 or as excuse me, close to 40 as possible. So um, if, if you are getting your blood done and you have your total testosterone level in your blood as a female and it's, you know, less than 30 and you have those symptoms and you've had those symptoms for a while, then it's definitely time to talk some of the options. And there could be some other issues like uh, fatigue, low motivation, low drive. I, I just noticed across the board for men and women, there's this kind of subclinical, I don't feel like myself anymore. I don't have this, do the things I used to do, mm-hmm. fill in their hobbies. So mm-hmm. I see, whatever uh, those look like. I see women who, especially athletes. So I, I've had a couple of marathon runners who, who just said, I'm trained, I'm fit. I should be able to get up off the couch and go for the run that I'm totally trained to do, but I just can't seem to do it this season. Like I'm, I can't get off the couch. Like everything looks normal. And, and in those women, testosterone has made like really, really super low dose, but has really made a big difference in getting them off the couch and back to the exercise. So, so like an apathy kind of thing, like they're just sort of apathetic. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if their apathy though came from the fact that they're like, why can't my body do what it normally can Mm -hmm. do? Like it normally is fit and fine. And you know, it within a hormone change, um, they were, you know, they relied on their testosterone. So when they didn't have it, they couldn't do what they were used to doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's, this is just a good opportunity to talk about something I've, I've seen. I don't, I don't want to take over anything. I just thought it's really important. Cool thing. I've sort of noticed about libido. I've seen a couple of patients, women, like you know as we get to know each other better and further further discussion it turns out both of them were told by their husband that they didn't like their body for some reason or there was something about their body that body image that was uh that was hurt a bit um and i just thought that was important to talk about because it's um that would make your hormones back and forth but i just thought it's a um, important point yeah, I think that is an important point. And what I notice, um, what women have, I guess, told me is that if they don't like the way they look, then they're less likely to have a libido. So mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I do think there's a strong, if the, you know, the solution is optimizing that testosterone level and getting that lean muscle mass back or getting that energy so they can do the things that improves lean muscle mass and recovery from workouts, they're going to be happier and they're more likely to have that athletic performance, but also physically look the way they want to look and, and not a pain way, but just like, Hey, I feel comfortable in my skin. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah. Libido is hard, right? Cause there are so many factors that, you know, that are intertwined in it. And even when we're talking about testosterone in men and erections, it's not just testosterone, right? You need that signal from the brain to the penis and you need nitric oxide and you need the blood flow component and cardiovascular health. So there's a lot of other components aside from testosterone. Oh yeah. Blood flow, nervous system health, and um, you know, the, the blood flow is huge. So that I've talked to who haven't had an erection for two to 10 years. And that's a long time. I mean, a, a month is a long time in my book. So if you're spontaneous erections in the morning, you're not waking up with erections and you're listening to this, that's 
usually a red flag and it could be cardiovascular disease. It could be a sign of diabetes or cardiovascular That's the reason why you have low libido, lower, you know, decreased interactions. Uh, so it, it can be, you know, as, as they say, the canary in the coal mine or the canary in your trousers. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a tough one probably to bring up though, probably for some guys, right? Like guys aren't, you know, care in general. And then that's a tough no. one. That's a tough one to like go. Hey, uh, guess uh, what's been. Sometimes, I mean, even when they're talking to a male clinician like me or other male clinicians, they it could take them three visits or half a year or a year to kind of say like, hey, you know, I want to try out something a little bit more aggressive here. Um, I'm not really happy with this. If they're still coming back to you. And, and asking you for help. And most men just frankly won't ever ask for help. They will never cause treatment. And that's just, just the truth and it's sad. However, most men just will not go to doctors. I actually wrote a blog about this and I, um, the TV show, The Ranch with Sam Elliott, who I'm a big fan of and um, Ashton Kutchner's in it, who um, he's all right. I, I like him too, but Sam Elliott's more of a reason why I was watching the show. Anyway, Sam Elliott is the rancher and then he has a heart attack and he's put on a vegetarian diet by his doctor, um, which is kind of funny because he's a rancher and he eats a lot of steak. So the point being is that he hadn't gone to the doctor for 12 years at this basically that, that he was forced to go to. And he was really upset about having to eat a vegetarian diet. And, you know, it's a comedy, it's a sitcom. So, you know, the case for most men. And I think it's, there's a whole survey that was done at a hospital, a hospital out of Orlando, Florida. And they did an online survey for men. And most reasons why men don't go to the doctor is they're too busy. That's the number one reason. Hmm. They're too busy for whatever reason. And that's what I hear too. The other reasons are they don't believe that they can be helped or uh, more specifically, they said that they don't want to have like mm-hmm. digital rectal exam. Nobody wants that. And, uh, or get a diagnosis that is scary like mm-hmm. cancer. So right. I, I think there's this um, underlying fear of, and even though the research on a lot of conventional medications are mostly done throughout history with men in this conventional medicine history that we have are mostly done on men men do use that service and so it's a lot of you know motivational interviewing for lack of a better term and building rapport and basically becoming their ally and saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm not here to like basically put you down or be rude to you. I was listening to a, a comedian recently and he was like, you know, it, it's funny. You go to the doctor and they're like, they, they tell you their, their opinion or their medical diagnosis. They're like, Hey, you know, you could lose a few pounds. And it's like basically being insulted in this Mm -hmm. seven minute visit, you know? So Mm -hmm. I don't really blame most men who know they, they know they need to lose weight. They don't that they're overweight stroke. I mean, nobody wants to pay to hear that. Right. So, um, and I I also think a lot of men have a, uh, basically an idea of like treating their body like their truck or their car. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. So if there's not a, a problem that we can actually fix, or if there's nothing bleeding, um, I can still work. Even if I have a little bit of back pain, I'll just take more ibuprofen or whatever. No big deal. And in that conditioning is part of the reason why I think men die more than women of heart disease, which is the biggest killer in North America. So, 
Yeah, but I'm wait, that's an easy segue into why they should maybe see someone like you, right? Because then, you, you know, um, you can look at the same, uh, you might run different tests, or you could look at the same tests through different lens and have a, a, like a bit of um, a bit of feedback for them, right? Like that happens, Kara and I do that all the time. We look at the labs they get and we're like, no, there is something here, you know? So um, that, that goes to um, the idea that maybe they should see someone on a regular basis who has the background to know, to, you know, to listen like a good mechanic when something's going a little bit off, maybe the average person can't hear it or see it, but you can when you, when you actually know how to, you know, look at signs and symptoms, maybe take more than five, 10 minutes in a, in a appointment with someone, you know, so. Yeah, I would say yeah. I have the same observations that the, the men that come in are generally later in the process, whatever process it is, it's later. Yeah. And, uh, and I've learned with men, I just need to like lay it, like a good clinician needs to just ask the questions. I remember a couple of years ago, I had a patient who said, it's taken me a year, but why I'm really here is I want to talk about my erectile function. And I was like, I should have just asked that the first, like maybe not the first visit, maybe the second, but now I just, you know, as part of being good clinicians, we just need to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. Probably easier on I an agree. intake or whatever too, right? Like it's another one that you probably want to make sure you have on your intake form just because it's probably easier for someone to go, you know, put an X there rather than talk about it when they just met you. Sure. Definitely. Yeah. And when I was working at the men's health clinic um, years ago now, we would always ask because they were coming in for erectile dysfunction. So it wasn't a question of on the second visit, do you have it? It was on the, if eight is a a firm enough erection to have uh, intercourse and penetration uh, zero to 10, if 10 is rock hard erection, uh, like you probably experienced in your younger years, if you're not experiencing now, where are you on that scale? And that can be, a question that now is like, you know, am I achieving erections on my own without something like Viagra Mm -hmm. where I can have at least an eight to a 10 every single time? Okay. That's not erectile dysfunction. You know, um, if you are under a lot of stress, you're not going to get as many erections. And that's because biologically we evolved to not procreate when we're under a ton of stress. So, if you know you're doing you know something like remodeling your house and starting a business or uh, you're moving your home or moving your office or you're adjusting to this covid pandemic still or mm-hmm. or don't know how to adjust to it and that's causing problems with sleep or mood then you're less likely to have libido and i've been talking to patients this week and they come and see me because of their energy, low libido, other health problems, autoimmune disease, low hormones, et cetera. And they're asking, you know, or telling me reporting, well, I have lower libido than I did before. And they're not upset, but I think it's good to put two and two together. Like, okay, there are some normal times to have low libido and that's not a sign that something's, necessarily chronically wrong with you but if you're not in an acute situation where you're under a tremendous amount of stress in that acute situation and you're under chronic stress and you have chronic health issues the low libido is definitely something you need to share with your doctor you know if you're like hey i haven't had sex for three years with my significant other or i haven't woken up with an erection time I woke up with a spontaneous erection. So that's, I think, when it's important to put that into a framework of, okay, this is something that merits attention versus, hey, this is transitory. And most people would be experiencing this too who are healthy. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that helps the audience put this into a little bit of severity. And I think that scaling, although it's hard to say, um, usually on a pain scale, I know it's a, it's hard for patients to report pain, but I think when you say, okay, zero to 10, eight is penetrate hard where where month or the last two months since we last met, um, uh, is a, is a good way for, um, men to kind of like put things into parameters. And there's so much that goes into it, like you were saying. So, 
And I think it's probably important. Can you just describe that it's not, it's not required for low testosterone. Like every man could look different. You know, say we had 10 men in a room who did have low lab levels of testosterone that could look very different for all of them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I have men have low testosterone and they have low libido, but they don't have erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. I have men that have high libido and they have erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have met, I have male patients. Um, so I've over the years, I've had patients that they can have a, a great porn, which is this whole other topic in, a, in and of itself, uh, that they can't seem to get when they are having sex with their sexual partner. So mm-hmm. I th- it's good. It's, that's a great question because I mean, you can have the other thing is on the diagnostic reports. You can, if you're getting a true full workup with total testosterone, free testosterone, estrogens, total estrogen, estradiol, uh, PSA, and red blood cell count, and maybe looking at if there's a family history of heart disease, cardiometabolics, uh, insulin should be tested, fasting insulin blood glucose and hemoglobin A1C and, and looking at thyroid and adrenal hormones too. So if you get all of that data and then more specifically within the testosterone, you could have somebody with a, a thousand total testosterone and they could have a 10 free testosterone and they should have at least 800 total testosterone nanograms per deciliter. And you probably have to do the conversion for other units. And, and if you're not using those units on your lab test, and then they should have 30 to 30 uh, free testosterone. And without testosterone therapy, they should have at least 20 picograms per deciliter estradiol and no more than 32, ideally. Definitely no more than 39 of uh, estradiol. So within those parameters, you could have so many different results telling you, okay, do I go right or left or straight here? And one of them uh, for men is they may have low normal testosterone and high estrogen and, or they may have okay testosterone case and they have high sex hormone binding globulin. So they have low testosterone and that's the one. Well, total testosterone really is great to test because you can calculate a lot from it. Uh, free testosterone is the one that your cells are able to Total testosterone is bound up to albumin and sex hormone binding globulin, so it can't travel through the capillaries into all of your cells and tissues. Where free testosterone is available, and then there's available testosterone. But basically, if someone didn't have, you know, all the funds to invest a big fancy test, you could test free testosterone and you could test just to get like a quick photograph of what's going on there between those two very important hormones. And then you could say, okay, now let's order other tests if you didn't want to go big first. Mm -hmm. And you would have enough information to say, this is an actual problem, you know? So just to interject there, um, yeah, you're, you're joining us from the States. So your numbers, your numbers are in nanograms per deciliter, I'm assuming. Um, and up here in Canada, total testosterone is in nanomoles per liter and free is in picomoles per liter. So if any of our listeners are in Canada or any practitioners who are listening, um, I've kind of converted all of your optimals to Canadian versions so they can get in touch with me. Um, for that. Um, awesome. But just, just for a comparison, I think, you know, you've sometimes used the range of 600 to a thousand for total testosterone that in Canada is somewhere between 20 and 35 when we're looking at our labs up here. Yeah. And I would say, um, we definitely want that total testosterone to be above 700. Um, if it, on the 600 is the 20 mark 
I think lifestyle and diet and nutrition still can have benefit uh, to improve it. However, what I've seen over the years is that, let's say a, a male patient comes in, they have sleep apnea. You think they have sleep apnea, but they haven't seen a sleep doctor yet. Get them a sleep study, get them a CPAP, have them compliant on that. And I've seen men's testosterone come up from, you know, very high. I've seen it come up to 800, a little over 800, just with CPAP, lifting heavy weights with adequate rest in between, increasing sleep time to eight hours a night before uh, 11 p.m. And that brought that person's testosterone level up higher. So you got to work with what's really good. It's very, very, very important. It's before anything else, you got to be sleeping. I mean, we can't out supplement sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. And there's a great book uh, by Dr. Matthew Walker, PhD, used to be at Harvard. And now he's at, been at UC Berkeley for a while uh, called Why We Sleep. So if someone's listening and thinking, yeah, that's great. I don't believe you. I need more research. Uh, he has a tome off of his website and you can go find him through the uh, faculty of UC Berkeley. And he even has all of his works cited in his book and then online too. So what oh, he Oh, it's found, nerdy. It's like, <laughs> it's some high end stuff. And uh, yeah, he even says at the beginning, which is funny, he says, you can, he doesn't mind if you listen to this to fall asleep. <laughs> Yeah, which I thought was which I thought was funny. And the author on Audible has a, a great accent. Um, so, anyway, oh, yeah, he went. Uh, whoever read it went to some posh school in England. I can <laughs> tell you that. Oh, really? Nice. Oh yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, so I I really like his work, and what what he found with all the research that he's been doing is that uh, going back to biceps and boners for the audience is that your gonads, so for women, your ovaries, for men, your testes do shrink with less than seven hours of sleep. Technically seven and a half hours of sleep, but usually they say about after seven of actual sleep. So most people think they're sleeping the whole time they're in bed. Mm -hmm. So if you're not tracking something that actually is able to track your sleep, a Fitbit does not do it, does not cut the mustard. For analytics, you need to get a Garmin watch or an Aura ring. And, you know, both of those things are usually around at least US dollars, 350, 300 plus. So you don't need both. You can do one or the other unless you really are wanting to, you know, track yourself to the nth degree. And uh, if you did both, it would be almost on par with the sleep study, is what I've been told. So, and Sam, uh, you, isn't uh, sleep, sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah isn't sleep ahead. like even more correlated with testosterone levels than even something like age? Yes. Uh, so there was a large NHANES study in the United States that used almost 10,000 mm -hmm. men aged 17 to, I think, 89. And they found that, as I mentioned in the beginning today, that our testosterone as men drops after age 31% on average per year for healthy men. And then for sleep, you're losing from their study, they found almost six nanograms per deciliter of testosterone per hour, less than seven hours. So if someone's getting five hours of sleep every night, that's, you know, 10 nanograms per deciliter. I believe it was, you know, five and a half, almost six. So, you know, you could, say conservative estimate for, for five hours of sleep a night, you're at, you know, 10 nanograms per deciliter chopped off your total testosterone every day times all the days that you're getting that much sleep per year. So yes, it is even, I mean, even for performance. So the other aspect that Matthew Walker talked about is that you're going to lose mean lean muscle mass. So if you want to be like a mean fighting machine, or even if you just want to be a weekend warrior and keep up with your kids or your friends, uh, doing whatever sports or activities you do, then you're going to want to have adequate mean muscle, lean muscle mass. Um, and that is going to go away if you're not getting more, at least seven hours of sleep. So 
for people who were athletes growing up and they're concerned about aging and losing muscle mass, which we all lose uh, bone mineral density and muscle mass after age 30, uh, then you're going to want to you know, train with somebody, eat correctly, sleep correctly. And usually it's that combination of lifting heavy weights, not overtraining if you're cross-training, and eating the right macronutrient percentages or at least uh, the healthier foods and enough protein, and then getting big sleep. So eat big, lift big, sleep big is what I've been told over the years. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard for men to make sleep as important as weightlifting or weight training or sports because we, the world we live in for especially the men that I work with that are working hard in business or they're working hard for themselves as an entrepreneur sleep is like the last thing you know it's the first thing to go and the last thing that's really valued well it's seen as a lack of something right it's seen as a not doing something it's seen as a void you know it's like compared to activity it's a void but like like the guy says in the book um you know it's it's far from a passive process it's something you need to invest in yeah. And I follow a lot of like uh, entrepreneurial coaches or entrepreneurs who are successful as if you're measuring success, success by the metric of having a lot of money or things, uh, material success. And the, a lot of what I see is memes of, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You can sleep mm-hmm. when you're dead. You need to crush it. And that is from a doctor's point of view. I think we all can agree on that. That's <laughs> some pretty like toxic messaging. Yeah. for men and to hear that the and that's when you make your hormones so if you're tracking your sleep after you listen to this you go get a you know donate your fitbit or give it to somebody else or sell it online and then go get the right kind of watch and measure your sleep you can see like how much deep sleep you get and REM sleep and and that's you know, you want to be measuring those things if you're concerned about your hormones. So, you know, before you get testosterone on board, if you're not optimizing your sleep, even when you have testosterone on board, you're not going to notice a lot of benefit if you're trashing your body. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, I use the analogy of, um, because I grew up with my dad, uh, building houses um, as was his job doing construction for residential homes. And what, what I always witness, even as a young kid is digging, excavating for the foundation, putting in the foundation. And even before that mapping out where the foundation was going to go and the land and that's the lifestyle and then pouring the foundation and making sure everything's level with the concrete or, and, and everything in the framing of that concrete. So, if you don't have that foundation in place, it doesn't matter what kind of great building you build on top of it and how awesome it is and how many supplements you're stacking on there and what you're eating. And, you know, if, uh, well, what you eat, what you eat is part of that. But even, even I think people get lost in nutrition first and it's like, okay, let's get, even before that, are you drinking water? You know, Um, you were talking about before this, uh, if people are drinking soda and they want testosterone, it's kind of like, well, insulin resistance is going to increase your chances of getting diabetes if you don't have prediabetes already. Uh, that's going to rob you of testosterone. That's going to wreck the mitochondria and the latex cells and basically just wreck your factory of making testosterone. All of these things work against us and the food industries do not care about us. They, they do not care about you having optimal testosterone levels. They don't, they just care about selling their food. So, you know, this comes back to all the naturopathic medicine, basic stuff having importance, but also nuance. So, uh, there's a lot of debate around this, but, uh, soy is a cash crop. It's a monocrop. And there's a lot of pesticides and herbicides and specifically Roundup with soy. And a lot of people can't tolerate soy products now because of that and how they're processed. So processed foods, well, even if your ancestors, you know, had fermented soy, 
you know, are you having fermented soy or are you having soy milk? And it says it's organic, maybe it's organic, but the uh, point being is it's also a phytoestrogen. So people argue whether phytoestrogens are okay for hormone level. I see is that if you're having something like that and you're putting soy milk into a protein shake and you're drinking 16 ounces of it every morning, yeah, that's like nobody ever did that 200 years ago, not even in mm. you know Japan. They were having fermented soy in small quantities. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's some nuance to this and that's, that's the, where the rubber meets the road and that's the why of why you should work with a practitioner like us, like a naturopathic doctor who can say, hey, you know, let me look at like what you're eating and drinking. Let me look at how often, you know, you're getting at least seven to eight hours, seven and a half to eight hours of sleep at night. And let's figure out why you can't get seven to eight hours of sleep at night. You know, do you have, you know, did you come back from combat and you're in the wars uh, around the world and you have PTSD and you can't sleep at night because it's not, you don't feel safe or do you not sleep at night because you're up on your computer working uh, because you're an entrepreneur and you don't have the capital to have more staff and delegate so that you can get seven hours of sleep at night. Well, so, really, you're talking about like getting nuanced after getting the basics, right? And like a lot of people, yeah. I think that's what, I think that's a lot of people, we, we the basics seem too simple. Like that, that, that is the problem. Even so it maybe seems too simple to like the average listener, but it also seems too simple probably to like the early to mid career of a naturopath. And then, and then you go, yeah. wait, that's simple stuff is like the foundation you were talking about. Like it, that's it, that don't worry about the French doors in the, you know, in the living room, like get the foundation, right. And it's, it's always humbling how important that is and uh, nuance, but Kara, you're going to ask a question about um, uh, why, why low testosterone? You're, t- you're just chatting me. Yeah. I, I was, I thought, cause you've mentioned a couple of really great things already of factors that potentially because low testosterone isn't just for older men. So we're seeing younger men um, with low testosterone. So I'd love just to go through some of the bigger things that we know really, really make testosterone, um, you know, dive. Uh, so sleep. You I mean know. lower today than what it was? Like, do you mean why it's going down all the time or? Uh, well, both. So I, I would, yeah, so both. Uh, one, why we're looking for lower levels, uh, why our lab reference ranges are lower. And then I'd love just to go over some things like, you know, sleep. I'd love to talk quickly about concussions, uh, alcohol. We got to get there for the dudes listening too. So um, maybe those are the next two big topics we talk about, but we can start, start with the reference ranges. Yeah. So the reference ranges are for blood, for total testosterone. So going back to total versus free, total is all of your testosterone production. And you want to get this blood test done before 11 a.m. I usually recommend people get it before 10 a.m. So if you got your testosterone tested already and it was in the afternoon, get it done again. It's going to dip in the afternoon. Um, The other thing before I get into the exact kind of detailed minutia of this is that you're going to have, as mentioned, a decrease after age 30, but beyond the age, there's seasonal flows of testosterone. So with the amount of sunlight we usually get in the Northern hemisphere, our summer is coming up, it's April now. And what we see is that testosterone kicks up basically from now through early fall. There's a natural uptick. The most yang. And that's because the most yang part more. of the year. <laughs> yeah. So so that's the normal thing. So if you got your testosterone tested in January 10th or something, middle of the winter, and you aren't getting any sunlight and you're in the northern hemisphere, maybe get it checked again come May. Uh, with that said, I haven't seen a big improvement in testosterone with vitamin D. So the reference ranges are based on total testosterone. You want to get your blood test in the morning and that could be a venipuncture, a blood draw from a conventional lab in Canada or the U S 
or it could be a finger stick, a blood spot, and there are labs that do that. There are home collection kits that patients can do on their own, just like getting your fasting blood glucose done. So um, now that we have those kind of uh, prerequisite parameters, there Sorry, was- one more parameter, uh, Sam. Do you, yep. uh, do you advise patients not to exercise the day before, or do you have any uh, restrictions around that? Yeah, I recommend people get you know, get as much sleep as you can, eight hours, uh, no heavy drinking the night before, because that we'll get into that why, but uh, that can increase your estrogen and potentiate the aromatase enzyme. So we'll talk more about that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, heavy exercise, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go super hard with especially a uh, cardiovascular hard exercise, like don't go for a long run, because that's going to increase your cortisol decrease your testosterone, mobilize more of the adrenal aspect of things and adrenaline. So, so what do yeah, I get yeah. to tease my older brother who's a marathoner about what, what do you, what are you telling us with the distance running? Yeah. Long distance uh, running, I call it chronic cardio, the chronic cardio high, the runner's high. And I, I was a long distance runner in high school. Uh, I ran cross country. And so those men are going to have most likely a little bit lower testosterone than they would for themselves. And this isn't a competition against other people with your hormones. This is a competition against yourself of optimizing your own hormone and your overall health as a male. You're going to have lower testosterone from. Yeah. It's a competition sports. between me and my brother though. Yeah. <laughs> so if he's doing marathons and you're not, uh, he may have lower testosterone. I mean, I guess the proof would be in the, can I, can I order your labs, Dave, Dave, you and your brother and, and yeah, I'll, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll sure. present them with a trophy. Yeah. I'm so, I got to get using that kettlebell a little bit more than too. Yeah. I love kettlebells. Um, and I think, you know, the, the results are in the recovery time and some of these more fancy exercise watches like Sunoto has like a mountaineering watch. It also can tell you like how much time you should be doing active recovery and active recovery means that you're not sitting on the couch binge watching Netflix or Hulu or something, you know, go for a walk. So mm -hmm. instead of, you know, trying to hit your one max rep for that week, uh, the, you know, four to 12 hours after that, you just did a big workout or something. So I think, you know, moderation. So mm -hmm. I think that's a hard one for people who are athletes and, you know, to moderate. And that's why it's good. No matter what level you are is to have a, a coach and hire a coach. And, uh, Dr. Tina Moore is a friend of mine and she pushed me for probably over a year to get a coach for kettlebells. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I know what I'm doing. And I hired a coach. It was a birthday present to myself in December and I hired a coach and started with them in January. So that's been really helpful for me. So and I uh, hired a strong first kettlebell coach. So cool. Yeah. Hey, as an inside, yeah. I know before we were recording, we were talking about how uh, like vitamin C is sold out of in uh, pharmacies and a lot of supplements are and how that's kind of neat um, that people are leaning on some natural medicines. Uh, but same with uh, kettlebells. Like my husband's trying to set up a home gym and literally like squat racks, bars, weights, kettlebells, you cannot find them. Really? Yeah, can't find them. Yeah, so maybe a good time for another company to pop up and start like welding in your home or something. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I think all the, all the gym peeps are, uh, are, are, are panicking. It's actually encouraging. It is, you know? it's great. People yeah. are buying yeah. a lot of uh, supplements. Uh, you know, maybe they should be more directed by an expert, but whatever. Sure. Um, <laughs> And they're buying, uh, you know, exercise equipment. That's and they're getting outside. There's some, maybe there's some silver lining to part of this. Mm -hmm. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying. <laughs> I like it. I like the. I like that positivity. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah. Get your squat rack if you know. Maybe uh, after this is over, you can share a squat rack with your neighbor. Um, and yeah. So going back to the lab cores, a conventional lab company in the U S. So going back to that reference range in 2017, there was a large uh, population study that they did. And they basically that 
based on these population studies that they decided they would decrease the total testosterone range. So in uh, 2013, the, and right before 2017, up to 2017, the range was 348 to 1,197 nanograms per deciliter for males, B9 with a BMI less than 30 for lean men uh, up to age 40, basically. And then in 2017, they dropped the range to 264 to 916 nanograms per deciliter total testosterone for the same age. Huge drop based on population studies in Europe and the United States. And basically, they're dropping those because they're finding everyone's generally getting lower, right? Just so people listening understand why those Someone just inside. Ah, I'm. I'm going to lower the levels. It because that's generally the trend in the population. Is that is that what what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So it's a it's these population studies inform them that people were having less total testosterone, and based on the new mean, they you know, and the previous reference interval is based on the Framingham Framingham Heart Study population analysis and then they did this new one in 2017 and then they reset it and so basically to dig into that deeper we're getting sicker as men and because we're getting sicker and you can just look at this if you go to the cdc you can say okay uh how many men are dying every year in north america from heart disease versus last year how many men are dying every year in the United States from, from uh, smoking, from uh, cancers, et cetera? Is it increasing every year? Yes, it's increasing every year. So because of that, and all those conditions have a metabolic dysfunctional framework with chronic inflammation in the everywhere, uh, not everywhere, but most everywhere, uh, that is why these men have low testosterone. Also, the other thing is all the chemicals in the air, food, and water. So there's a great book called Estrogeneration by Dr. Anthony Jay. And Anthony Jay is a PhD in chemistry. So you can read that book. You can listen to it on Audible. And if you want to nerd out, it is very heavily researched. So it might be boring because we're, you know, we're talking about like amphibian research with different <laughs> populations of frogs and fish and stuff, because we don't have all this. No one like, Hey, by the way, mm -hmm. your couch with like all the flame retardants on it is why you, your testes are mm -hmm. slowly shrinking anymore the way that they did in your grandparents' generation. So even, even then, so going back to, uh, we've been researching testosterone levels for the last or, or testosterone for the last 70 years. Uh, there there is some argument that in the 50s, I haven't been able to find this to confirm it with my own eyes, but from my colleagues who I was in the men's health clinic with, they were saying testosterone levels were actually up around 1500 or higher of the upper end of normal wow. for total testosterone. Wow. So there's been a, a massive deficiency in, in drop here. And I just want to say, this isn't everybody's fault. This isn't just about not having diabetes or being obese or pre-diabetes. This is also policy, public policy around pollutants. Uh, it's not just BPC, which both are problems. Uh, there's you know other things in sunscreens, conventional sunscreens are estrogenic, carcinogenic, uh, arguably. And there's serious chemical saturation that we're all surrounded by, even if you're the most astute and you know anal retentive about using all the natural stuff you can and not using mm -hmm. plastics which the phthalates and plastics are estrogenic and disruption even if you're using glass containers and all these things it's in the air it's in the water uh, even if you're using the best filters you already were exposed in utero you were already exposed up probably at least to age 20 unless you're 15 years old and listening to this then there's already been damage. So 
in yeah we've got a big environmental problem going on yeah like big time like you're going through all the details but really man we we live in an environment that is not uh we haven't been great custodians Mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah we're yeah I was going to just say that's such a great segue to a toxin that we can control as you're talking about uh, estrogen nation and also as actually we're talking about things that are flying off the shelf and that's alcohol and beer. Um, Yeah, you have to talk about that. um, And you can... You can uh, say talk talk directly to my husband here. <laughs> His name's Ryan. <laughs> He's okay. Irish. He's Irish. Well, I don't know not, him, not but nice problem, to meet you. <laughs> He's Irish and he likes the beer. He likes you know not a lot, but he likes a beer. You know, a wee what? A wee sneaky. Yeah, he likes a wee sneaky. And like wee sneaky, I like that. I value his testosterone quite a lot, actually, <laughs> and. Uh, I bet you do. Yeah. I was wondering when she'd she'd start this. It, she waited right till the end to go I a did, little I did. go a little rogue. He yeah. values his testosterone. I knew she would. Too. <laughs> he lifts weights. He sleeps. He does all the good things. Like he's he's quite uh, conscious about his health. But the Irish gene in him gets gets it at the beer part or or whiskey anyway. So can you just talk to uh, the dudes out there about about alcohol and their testosterone? Absolutely. Yeah. So there was a large population study that compared uh, some countries that have, uh, because they're Muslim, they're not drinking, compared, you know, like Pakistan to the UK, for example. And they found that there's no appreciable amount of alcohol consumption that was healthy, was, was their synopsis from that research. And I think that came out Ouch. two years ago. You can look it up. It was in the Lancet. So the Lancet is one of the top most prestigious medical journals in the world. So with that said, I look at alcohol like a state dependent substance. So uh, alcohol consumption does affect your body. It does potentiate damage to all parts of your body, the liver, uh, the pancreas. So you can get pancreatitis if you're an alcoholic. And that's not good. That's inflammation of your pancreas and you kind of need that. Uh, So check out what your pancreas does. And basically, long story short, what we see in the labs over and over again is that men who drink alcohol socially or uh, excessive higher estrogen levels than men who don't drink alcohol. Uh, It also has to do with your aromatase and there's genetics around that, which I don't have time to get into. But basically, And if you can change the type of alcohol you drink to other types of alcohol. So it's basically the lesser of the evils, if you will. And I'm not trying to say that alcohol is evil, but uh, it's not going to help you. So just to back up before I get into all the nuances is that alcohol and marijuana and game, you know, video games and all these things be uh, conditioned as your stress reduction. Uh, they're unhealthy ways to let off steam. So as men, uh, to be more masculine, it's ironic to me as a healthcare practitioner, as a doctor, that the ways that we are being conditioned, like Wyatt Earp, and then uh, John Wayne's character was from Wyatt Earp. Those characters were, you know, drinking a lot in saloons and like the wild cowboy of the West. So that has been kind of construed as masculine and maybe reframing that for yourself is okay. This is like me eating cake. So, and, and to use it, but use it consciously and then maybe look at, okay, why, why do I want to have a drink right on? Or am I trying to blow off some steam because today sucked? So, I think that's a good way to look at things. Um, But IPA beers are going to increase your estrogen similar to drinking like a whole canister of soy milk every two days. So in in my medical opinion, that's what I've seen. And if you want to look into what the herbalists say, hops is a very potent phytoestrogen. It's great, great as a sedative hypnotic herb, which that means is it's basically great to knock you out and put you to sleep. (laughs) 
-hmm. So it's like your NyQuil. If, if you know what NyQuil is or a sleep medication that you take, um, uh, that's what the IPA beers do is they basically shut down that kind of busy mind. And that's why a lot of men like them. They like the effect of it. There's also the carbonation and, you know, some men like the having a cold beer, cracking cold beers, like they're a little piece of heaven, you know? So I don't want to take that away from people, but if you could switch to a ideally organic beer because hops is sprayed with Roundup, which is glyphosate, and glyphosate, uh, basically it's a chelator and it, it depletes your body of the things you need. It wrecks the microbiome and cases we've had in the United States against uh, Bayer Monsanto conglomerate is that it, it causes lymphomas and breast cancers. So there you go. So organic beer, get away from the IPAs, you know, maybe have like a gin and tonic in moderation, or uh, you can have a lager instead of having an IPA. And organic beer, it's really hard to find. Um, I don't drink beer. So uh, if, you know, what I recommend is replacing all of that with like an herbal nervine tincture of like an herbal mix that is calming that doesn't have phytoestrogen herbs in it that you can make, if you like carbonation, you can mix with bubbly water and drinking either a shot of that or just having a tablespoon of it in four ounces of water. And that being something that is of alcohol from it and that can kind of help reset the nervous system until somebody is as disciplined as saying like okay well you know i'll have one instead of three tonight or i'll have one instead of six you know mm. so i i think it's i think it's fine in moderation and then i would take you know two to three days off a week at least two consecutive days off a week from drinking if you're not already so okay yeah. so sam um we always ask our guests that kind of as we're coming to the end of our time, uh, what one takeaway is. So if you're still talking to Ryan, because again, I value his testosterone, <laughs> what would you tell Ryan? Uh, you know, he's coming up 40. It's his 40th birthday this year. Um, what's one thing or like one mindset or something that you can uh, say to him so that I like the one takeaway from this whole once. Yeah. One takeaway. <laughs> Sure. Keep happy with a happy husband. <laughs> to, to optimize your biceps and boners, you want to watch what you're drinking and you want to watch your sleep and track your sleep. Awesome. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, simple. That was succinct. And it inc included Kara's very happy boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He was excited for this pod. I, I told him the, the topic of the podcast today. You were excited. Everyone well, was excited. Yeah. It's good. It is. You know what? It's refreshing in a time of a pandemic. Uh, yeah. To talk. I, I would call this an epidemic though, right? For, for men um, and equally for yes. females, you know, hormone, hormones uh, and for men, low testosterone is probably an epidemic that we really need to be paying attention to. So yeah. Thank yeah, you for and, sharing and I, for, your wisdom for us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, just one last thing on that note. I mean, if someone's getting testosterone less than testosterone or you're around 350, 350 total testosterone, you're more at risk for dying of a heart attack, a stroke, or just dying sooner than you would if you had mm -hmm. more optimal testosterone. So it's not just about biceps and boners. It's about, hey, you know, I don't want to drop dead from a heart attack yeah. or stroke. Yeah. Uh, out of nowhere and leave my family and friends mourning and grieving because I didn't know. And we don't know what we don't not knowing, but when, when you know, and you don't do something about it, then you, you know, you're, you're attached to people in your community more than you know. And I, hopefully people are starting to understand that with the pandemic now, but we are we are all connected whether you believe it or not and what we do affects our family so mm -hmm. it's not just about like oh well stop drinking ipa beers and like hope that i don't have a stroke but really monitoring things you know so yeah. i think that would be my like other 
other succinct thing to say, hopefully got that. I love it. Yeah. And I love the, again, the parallels I say to women, like it's fun to talk to women. We talk about, you know, lots of fun things, libido, sex drive, like hot flashes. Like it's, we get, it's fun, right. You know, to, and in, in a humorous medical way, you know, you, you have to laugh to, to approach, you know, those symptoms that their hormones are causing in the short term, but really it is a very serious issue, you know, looking at how, that's impacting their long-term health and vitality and, and uh, disease risk. So um, I, I like the parallels to testosterone. There's both those sides of the coin too. Absolutely. All right, Dr. Sam, we, uh, we didn't get to uh, actually replacing testosterone. So maybe we'll have you back on another time and, and, and get to that. Or what our listeners need to do is check out your podcast, uh, which is the Dr. Madeira show, um, which I've learned tons. You've, you've had some really great guests on there who explain testosterone in really good detail. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's on my website, so you can go there and check it out. Yeah. And that's the last thing I want to mention too, is uh, Dr. Sam's uh, website is apollohealthclinic.com. And he's, um, he's got some downloads there, which is uh, um is on it's on Andropause, I believe, and that's something we didn't even really like. There's so much more we could have talked about to get you back for talk about uh, Andropause, statins, uh, nettle. There's many more things to talk mm -hmm. about, but um, healthclinic.com, and uh, yeah, and we'll get together again another time, Sam. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank thanks, you guys Sam. for having me. Thank All you. Right. Yeah, I look Take forward care. to next time. Take care. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.